0: Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. We are here with our special edition at KubeCon in Europe, and today my guest is Phil Estes from from AWS. Thank you for coming here.
1: Absolutely, it's good to be on the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we 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 kind of missed each other in Valencia, so you know that's that's understandable, and um, you know, so I was I was really really excited to have you back, you know, and and actually connect this time.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah. So so you know. Uh, You've done so many interesting things, and uh, you know. So, I'd love to. I'd love for my listeners to to understand a little bit about maybe your history, either pre-AWS or from AWS, wherever you want to start. You know, I'd love to understand that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, before AWS, I've been there just over two years and a few months. Yeah. Um, It was at IBM for a very, very long time. Sure. Twenty-six years, all the way back to university days. (laughs) Uh, So. I think a lot of people expected me to end up in that lifer, IBMer <laughs> category, uh, but kind of separate from employer, uh, I got very involved in open source around 2013, 2014, when sure. Docker was just kind of coming on the scene, and at the time, I did a lot with Linux at IBM. We had the Linux Technology Center, very focused on open source, but but my role was not publicly working upstream. So it was like I'd done all this Linux open source stuff, but I hadn't really done open source until 2013, 2014. And uh, my manager at the time said, hey, you know, uh, we had done a PaaS. We had been very involved in Cloud Foundry. IBM had helped with the OpenStack, you know, days. Uh, It's like we need some people to go see what this container thing is about. (laughs) You know, go get involved in the community Uh, that probably
0: didn't take a lot of convincing no 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 it was interesting it
1: was you know I was a Linux user so containers made sense to me yeah Uh, so I jumped in 2014 2015 I just you know grew into maintainer of the Docker engine as an external contributor uh, for Docker became a Docker captain the next year after that and so you know kind of these last seven, eight, nine years have have been a, a massive shift in my career from doing all this internal, quiet, you know, <laughs> under the covers work, uh, you know, with IBM servers and systems, to you know, being out in the community, going to conferences, uh, which uh, you know has been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Working on Docker during kind of its hype craze was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, met tons of people. Uh, so yeah, long story short, as I, as. My role in Docker kind of moved to, hey, let's create this common core layer separate from Docker, which became container D, contributed to CNCF. Um, at the same time, AWS and other cloud providers as well as IBM were were saying, hey, our managed services could run with container D as as the runtime. Uh so my expertise there, you know, was valuable to IBM and and became valuable, and one of the reasons I came over to AWS is sure. They built Fargate around Container D. Yeah. EKS was moving to Container D. So, uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a fun kind of ride of just having this, uh, you know, more of a public uh, face in the community and, and meeting people at KubeCon yeah. and Open Source Summit. Like, hey, I love your work on Docker, or Container D, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been having a blast. Uh, it's kind of been a highlight of my career, which is funny because I. Did it for 20 some years just kind of behind the scenes plugging away yeah at a yeah
0: computer uh yeah i think that's it's kind of that shift there but it's funny about when you're talking about ibm because you know growing up my dad worked for ibm for yeah. years so <laughs> so that's where I, that's how i grew up he was he he worked under acres yeah. who, who was oh, yeah. the who was the ceo of the time He see he, he had stories of carrying him home from the bars and things <laughs> like that so but uh you know uh yeah, so 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 I could totally relate to, to being like a IBM and back then it was like the big blue still, yeah, you know? yeah, right. it, it suits every day and all right. that kind of stuff. So so yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um and it's a much different company now. But right, right. but yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of shifted from from internally creating these like separate ecosystems that never get outside the walls to kind of, you know, now it's 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 okay to to work on solutions together, and it actually is driving so much more innovation. You know, it used to be that open source kind of trailed the the corporate innovation, and now it's like corporations are starting to go the other way where they're trying to catch up to where the open source is.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's been a fun couple of years at AWS because I feel like uh, they've also been on a in a shift of, of sorts to... To be more visible in the community, you know, having large booths at KubeCon's and Open Source Summits, not just to talk about services and products, sure. but to talk about what we're doing in community. You know, we've got etcd maintainers or people contributing to Kubernetes or yeah, Container absolutely. D. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a it's been a great time to be there because you know my history of working in open source, I could I could mentor some of the younger engineers who are. Like, what does it mean to work upstream? Like, yeah, how does that look? Because yeah, yeah, it's different yeah. than, than your manager saying, "Okay, here is <laughs> the thing we're going to build, and each of you take you know a couple functional areas and develop it, and it's all you know internal."
0: And that's a really it's it's a different skill. I mean, it's a different skill set, you yeah, know. And yeah. it's uh, it's it could be equally or even more hard because you are dealing with you know um, you don't have as much control, so you have to you have to like you know figure out how to how to manage that together with different perspectives yeah, yeah. and different ideas and bigger as the project grows, you have different, you know, different people that join in and different, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so, you know, how do you, how do you kind of, um, you know, how do you work on, how do you do that? How do you start, how do you even attempt to start that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it is interesting in that, uh, in open source, your skills at the keyboard may not translate into <laughs> success in community because, you know, we used to call them soft skills, but yeah. they're, you know the the important skills in community are how do you communicate, how do you uh, how do you not be annoying, but yet <laughs> you know move a community in a direction that's valuable to you, or or uh, you know build trust. Sure, building trust in communities takes you know way more than just being good at, at writing code. So, uh, you know, a lot of it's just. Uh, teaching people how to how to enter a community like you know first impressions matter and so uh, you know trying to get people to understand that sure you have this great new idea that that radically changes the way this project works well you you can't start there you're probably gonna have to ask hey do you guys need help with like you know uh, some tasks that are simpler to (laughs) clean up CI or, or help with docs or something that, that starts to build that trust. Sure. Uh, so that then maybe you have a voice in the community. You can say, hey, I had this great idea. I don't know if, if it's interesting to other people. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of that mentoring is not so much how to open a pull request. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's it's that's way, relatively easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's way more about, you know, how are we going to present ourselves to this community so that we earn trust so we bring value that's not just about us yeah Um, so yeah it's you know and and to be honest there are people who who uh just may not have those skills to be successful in community and and there are others who rise very quickly to the top like oh they they get it yeah they really understand how, how this works the give and take the you know, open debate without being offensive. You know.
0: Yeah, it's it's really a it's it's almost the same skill as you need as a politician. Almost, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, it's, there's it's definitely some. Yeah. Points, yeah. yeah, you know. So, but but going back out of you know straight community, like I know you work on a lot of projects. I know I, in Valencia, I think my real interest was starting to get into like micro VMs and stuff like that. Yeah. I think yeah. you, had, did you you were supposed to have a talk on that last time, maybe. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: so so. We have uh, built a micro-VM-based container D uh, project called Firecracker Container yeah, D yep. that uses Amazon's Firecracker project. Um, so, you know, we've used that. We've we've shared about it. In fact, I was just talking to Alex Ellis yeah. a couple hours ago. He's built. I didn't realize he was using Firecracker in one of his projects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah that that's been an int- interesting you know Amazon had this capability they built it on some other pieces they released that as open source. The container group took some of that built around container d so you know like a lot of open source it's kind of evolutionary you're taking. You know this project and that project, and you're combining them or or offering something you know yeah. built around that.
0: And yeah, and that was the that was I think I read somewhere that that was the core of Lambda or something like that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Lambda yeah.
1: is built on Firecracker VM technology. Yeah. Um, so so
0: you know what I what I always try to figure out is like, what was the core problem that you were trying to solve when you guys created something like Firecracker?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the only. Uh, <laughs> Hesitation for me to answer that as I was yet to join AWS when, when those <laughs> discussions happened. So yeah. I don't know all the backstory yeah. there. Yeah, or if
0: there's something that you you know that you think you know, I, yeah. w- I won't hold that, I won't hold it so for the people <laughs> that are out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, but clearly, uh, you know VM isolation. Uh, you know, for years we've talked about that's a stronger boundary than containers. Sure. And so AWS is. Uh, Primary focus on security is, is job one. Sure. Uh, uh, I think led them to, okay, people love containers because of the fast start. Yeah. You know, they just start. Yeah. Uh, there's no VM to boot. And Firecracker brought, married some of that together because, you know, paring down the, the machine profile to where you're not loading the driver for floppy disk yeah, or yeah, PCI. Yeah. Or all, they really all the, stripped it of everything yeah, except so, the essentials. So you yeah. get down to where it's a few or hundred milliseconds Uh, yeah now now it's like okay we could use vms in a functions as a service type of model serverless model uh and still get vm isolation but also some of the benefits that drew people to containers so so i would say that's you know that's definitely part of the the thinking that brought about yeah a project like firecracker yeah
0: and how do you, you know um so for people that have used things um like containers before how do they, how would they even start to go down that path of like or decide when to use it versus the other and and how do they start to to use something like that
1: yeah i mean you know a lot of uh, a lot of the interest of work in that area has has been around untrusted workloads so you have to decide what's my what's my threat model in what yeah. i'm building does it matter that you know do i need strict isolation uh you know maybe there are people who have different opinions about container boundary. Can I, you know, trust it? Can yeah. I not trust it? Can I add things like rootless mode that even deprivilege it further? Sure. Uh, so yeah, it really depends on uh, you know, the person assessing what kind of technology they're gonna use to say, do I have a threat model where I really want stronger isolation? And then maybe, you know, I make those choices about catacontainers or firecracker or who you know, yeah. yeah. Whoever's providing me kind of a <laughs> micro VM platform.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's you know the, the, it's it's a great time that we have so many options, but it's also a it's yeah, it's it's, it it's also good. can be very overwhelming that we have so many options. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, um, but you've been working on some new projects, and I really want to talk about that too. So, so tell me about your latest project because this sounds really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we just launched Fitch uh, around reInvent. I actually it was the week before okay. we published a blog post. We didn't tie it to Reva because it's not a product. It's yeah. not an AWS yeah, product. Of course. It's an open source project uh, that is built out of projects that we're already involved in, Container D, Build Kit. Uh, we've gotten more involved in Libo, which mm-hmm. is, a, again, a simple VM technology for Mac uh, that you can run Linux OSs inside uh, QMU-based virtualization. Uh, so... You know, other people have married some of these same projects. Rancher has Rancher Desktop, uh, but we had customers asking us for like just a simple. I want to, you know, on my developer laptop, which is probably, you know, many times a Mac. I just want to have that tight developer loop of I, I build a Docker file. I want to build an image. I want to run it and try yep. some things. Now I change something so that that tight inner loop where I, I don't want to deploy it somewhere. I don't want to push to a registry, you know, the things that people yeah. have traditionally used Docker on their, yeah. on their laptop or Docker desktop. Uh, so we, uh, yeah. So as a response to, to those customers, we, we thought, well, we could join these communities. We're already, uh, partially involved in and just start to build kind of this common layer that, you know, maybe others will want to use it as well. Um, uh, so again, it's, it's got, it's built on NerdCTL, which again, Akihiro, one of our maintainers, uh, he's built so many projects you could barely keep up. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, he's part of the, how rootless containers came to be. He's a run C maintainer. Uh, anyway, NerdCTL gives you that same Docker-like command lines. Yep. Syntax and commands. So Finch uh, on your back gives you that same feel of like, I've got the command line, I could build, I can run. I can push to registries. Uh, so at this point, it's it's really just a, a, a packaging of those projects. Some of our ideas for the future are adding Windows support, uh, maybe Linux support as well. And then uh, having a plug-in model, just like Docker Desktop has That's an extension awesome. model. Yeah. So you know, vendors you see out here on the floor, they can plug in their container scanning tool or, yeah, yeah. or whatever, whatever additional features they'd like to have. Uh, and that, that allows us to keep Fitch just being pure open source. It's not going to tie you to AWS. You don't need an AWS account. You don't have to use our services, but uh, you could have an extension that does something interesting if you're deploying to ECS or Fargate. Uh, so, yeah, um, we're pretty excited uh, about the initial you know, response. has been really positive. Uh, and... You know we're we're trying to run it as a fully open source project which means you know it's not just aws people that yeah could be maintainers we want others to grow to be able to become maintainers of the project and, and contribute and yeah so, uh, absolutely so, yeah we'd love to build a community around that
0: yeah no it sounds really neat and and you know i'm always interested when there's some kind of new technology to to help me or even a packaging of that technology in the right way because I often, you know, I've said this so many times. This even today is is that, you know, think about the new person coming into the into this environment. You know, we all we all grew with the environment, and we yeah, started with right. Kubernetes, and then started to be other projects. So we looked at those, and there was more projects, and we looked at those, and there was more. Yeah. Pro- but think about somebody new that's that's just coming into this today. Trying to figure out, like, what do I even do? I was told that I have to go to containers. I have to put them in these things called microservices, and there's this thing called Kubernetes. Well, what's the CSI? What's the CNI? What's the, you know, and all these projects, all these projects. So, you know, I feel like we as a community have to do a better job at simplifying some of this and creating documentation and creating, you know, paths, the easy path. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. That you know, part of Fitch was recognizing that. All the components are there, yeah. But telling someone, "Oh, you got to go to this GitHub releases page and download this piece and configure it." This yeah, way. yeah. You know, starting to bring that together to, you know, you get a, a single click install and it, it puts all that down and updates when updates. So, uh, so yeah, that yeah. simplification, like you said, is really important.
0: Yeah, and I see a few cool projects like popping up. Like uh, my, I think I had uh, Dinesh from Sivo on earlier, and he was telling me about. This thing called Coop Start. That sounded pretty neat. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but it's I like, yeah, it's like uh, it like it will set up your whole pipeline for you, and then it creates the logs, and the logs will go in your Git in the right area, and then it'll create a feedback loop, and it sets sets up everything you need in like 15 minutes. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's kind of like that's great for people that are just getting into it. You know, right, they don't know right. how to set up these pipelines. Yeah. They don't know how to do these things. Yeah. You know, so it's opinionated, but you know, it's 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 it takes certain you know right, right. opinions, and and it's it does give you some choice, like you know, GitHub Git lab or, or or even you yeah. know amazon or, or whatever you know it will it'll allow you to do that but but it's uh you know it's good for people coming into it you know so right. so i'd love right. to see these projects that and, and even like 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 you know i had shannon and uh, shannon williams and um you know and uh, darren shepard on before yep. Yep. And, you know, Acorn's interesting because they're doing stuff to make yep. that part easier, you know. So yeah. I love things that make things easier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Darren's an old friend. He, he and
1: I both were contributors to Docker Engine way back sure. in the early yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got the perfect mentality of, of that grumpy developer. He's yeah. always always pushing to make things simpler and why, yeah, why does yes. this have to be hard? Yes. Right. So I think Acorn is the result of, of that, especially yeah. to try and simplify. Yeah,
0: right? and, and that's really, when you think about the greatest innovation that comes out, it's really about, somebody got so frustrated at the way things were done, yeah. that they yeah. actually codified and created a solution because of the fact that we don't want to do that anymore. You right, know? right. You, after right. you bang your head against the wall so many times, yeah. you don't want to do that anymore. You right, know? right. So, so, yeah, no, I, I love the innovation that, that comes out of these things, and, yeah. um, you know, really... Really, really interesting to see, and yeah. I think we're we're at a state where this environment's pretty mature. So now we're just adding more. We're we're trying to look back and say, like, what is it that we can do to make things simpler? Yeah, right, <laughs> right definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, your your day job within uh, AWS, like, like you know, what do, what are the what are the what do you work on there? Is is it, or can you talk about these things? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so I joined because of my container D involvement. Yeah. Uh, there was an expectation that I would bring some open source leadership and around the OCI, around container D. Sure. Um, so it's actually been a lot of fun because uh, many groups. You know, I'm I'm affiliated with the Container Services organization. The Fargate, again, as I mentioned, uses container D directly. EKS sure. has moved to container D. So there's that natural fit of. We have a container runtime team uh, who contribute upstream who also help, uh, you know, these services, Fargate and, and others, you know, use Container D, make it easier for them to adopt. Uh, so there's sort of a natural mentoring relationship with that team. We've That's built, awesome. We've grown it. We've doubled it since I, since I joined. Uh, and then we've kind of have this nice organization where we've brought two sister teams so Bottle Rocket, uh, again, something AWS had created before I joined, a container-optimized OS built on Container D. Mm-hmm. That's a sister team. And then the Finch team, uh, the, the project we just talked about. So, so there's a, a natural fit for me to be a principal engineer helping each of those teams with open source, with Container D, with OCI issues uh, around you know, new features, things we're trying to do upstream. And then it easily progresses from that. EKS obviously has a lot of expertise in Kubernetes, but but I'll be brought in to help with container D or node level concerns. Sure. Um, the registry team obviously has an OCI compliant registry, so I work with ECR, and the registry folks on work they're doing in the OCI. Um, so that you know that almost feels like a lot of open source consulting like within AWS where. I could bring help, connections, benefit to yeah. you know work we're trying to do upstream. Getting again, mentoring people to learn how does that work? How should we do it? What should we take? Uh, and we've created a few other projects, you know, since I joined the Sochi snapshotter for ContainerD, which is a lazy loading hmm. snapshotter to improve uh, image download time. How quickly can I get my container started? Yeah. Which is important when you have large AI ML yeah. images. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've already talked about uh, Finch. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a neat time to join, as I said, because I feel like there's a lot of uh, value to just having more open source leaders. We have DIMS, we have Nithya Ruff running the OSPO. So these are people I all I knew, you know, pre-AWS who are all there working together on, on open source uh so there's a lot of ties to David Alley's Open Source Marketing Group and Nithia, the Ospo. So there, there's a lot of cross collaboration yeah. across these orgs, uh, and we're also getting more involved with OpenSSF. Yeah, everybody uh, is. <laughs> yeah. So and, and I had a role there when I joined AWS, so I I, I bridge that connection as well. So uh, I definitely have plenty to do. Um, <laughs> Uh, plenty of people looking for guidance and help yeah. and, uh, and leadership upstream. So. so,
0: so yeah, I mean, talking about a little bit about security, you know, and how is it? How do we enable better education about like security in containers and security with Kubernetes and security? You know, because, you know, I, I said this before too that that you know developers are designed for speed. They want to get the application yeah. out as, yeah. as soon as possible. Kind of security is kind of an afterthought right now for a lot of companies, yeah you know how do we how do we provide that education and how do we enable people to to kind of think about that
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean you know uh, you know i i don 't play directly in that space i 'm not a security expert but <laughs> but since getting involved in containers i 've given talks on, on you know container security, what kind of choices do you have to make in it and it 's very clear that you can talk all day about the knobs and the switches yeah, yeah, like yeah. how do I make this more secure how do i remove privilege uh, but like you said because a developer's you know going to choose the fastest way to get from a to b yeah if you don't if we don't start building these into the default platforms that we're using if you don't naturally just get security from the platform or or that it's an easy you know those steps flow naturally with exactly. the work you're already going to do <laughs> Like when I build an image, it's going to be scanned. I don't have to turn it on. I don't have to like worry about you know building out the platform that's going to show me results or or set up policies that images with critical vulnerabilities aren't going to be run. Uh, so I think a lot of the work that's happening right now is trying to trying to build bake those into platforms. So yeah. That, you know. You're not asking customers to go to five more webinars on, <laughs> on here's how to secure container image, here's how to secure your Kubernetes platform, because, like you said, that you know people aren't gonna have the time, or maybe they have best intentions, but it just doesn't happen. So, uh, so I think we're we're all gonna have to find ways to make sure that those uh, choices happen yeah. for you, or, or at least as naturally as part of the work you do. That you're going to have to do anyway. You're going to have to build a container. You're going to have to push it and set up the policy for how it gets mm-hmm. deployed. So at least if those security capabilities come along with that, then uh, then we'll all end up more secure rather than you know waiting for someone to learn all the things that they have to learn yes. and turn on all the knobs that they have to figure out on their own. So, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I totally agree, and I th- I think that's that's probably the key there is is kind of that delicate balance between between velocity and security. You know, it's yeah. like you don't want to slow people down because that's what they have to do, but you also want to enable them, you know, probably through the pipeline or something to to make good choices, right. auto, you know, automatically. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, you know, those are hard problems. They because, are. Because, you know, people also don't like it when a odd-by-default security feature changes the way their workload runs sure. or, or stops it from running. So, so there's all, all this balance that in that world that, that's difficult
0: yeah absolutely and, and add all the you know supply chain things now yeah and so trying to track that and yeah so you everyone, know. everyone's like
1: okay now, now give me an s-ball yeah figure out what that means and yes. I, you know and that's again, a
0: complicated pro- problem yeah, that is a super yeah. complicated problem yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I had I had Frederick on before. Um, yeah, yeah, and and we were talking about that. And I mean, it's just when you think about you know just compiling and languages and you know what what you're using, everything is so different, and you have so many choices. And yeah. you know, how do you validate that? And how do you attest it? And all those kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's 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 a hard problem. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: each each one of those areas has its own unique problems. So. Yeah. <laughs> I want to build that's reproducible. Well, there's a group of Linux people that have been trying to get reproducible <laughs> Debians or RPMs for years. Yeah, and, you got know, to get date strings out. Yeah, you yep. know, just to get the same binary every time is yeah. already a hard problem in itself. Yeah. So now you think about s and attestations and like.
0: And then how do you manage those S-bombs? How do you distribute it? How do you how do you distribute hashes or whatever yeah. it is that you whatever the output of that is? Yeah. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I get to see this from an interesting vantage point because being in the OCI now the image spec and distribution spec and artifact discussions all relate to that. Like yeah. that's why the OCI is discussing these things because people want an image to have things that refer like oh here's the SBOM, here's the signature, here's the attestation. yeah And so uh, it, you know all, all these things overlap each other in the end you know that people are doing work across our ecosystem.
0: It's almost like it was, you know, even though as far as we've gone and and this stuff all has reasons for being here, but the world has become so much more complicated than when we just had like (laughs) VMs running and something, you know, even just servers or VMs or whatever, you know, Right. the world is, it's such a different world. And it's, and it's, you know, partly because of velocity, you know, because we need to enable that velocity and we need to do, and then by, by and by, we have to have the security on top of that. So all that stuff adds way more complexity.
1: Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, we live in a way more complex world than yeah. we started working in software.
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, so, you know, I, I started working out in, in, you know, it makes me feel old now, but, you know, in the, in the Solaris ecosystem yeah. and in the, you know, and all these things that, you know, a, a lot of these concepts came from, you know, yeah. a lot of those things right. in Unix, yeah. you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, really interesting. By the way, I you know what I meant to ask you, and I, I um you know, I kind of, wanted to walk back a little bit so so when you got involved in container d or or, or you you know i what, what was that you know how did that start how did how did you
1: yeah that's uh that's an interesting story in and of itself uh so I, I don't know how involved or how visible this was you know some of these things they there's a bubble where it's like everybody you think everybody's involved but like oh well that was actually this this group Felt all that heat and pressure right then, yep. but maybe nobody else saw much of it. Although part of this was definitely very public. Uh, so uh, as as Docker gained popularity, Kubernetes was also sort of on a similar track. Uh, sure. I, I think people think, oh, Docker was around a while, and then there was Kubernetes. If you look back, it's like, well, there were talks at early Docker cons about this new thing that <laughs> people were just trying out. Uh, but there was, you know, there was friction in that world pretty quickly because sure. Docker came up with Swarm. Yep. Docker, the the company, yeah. came out with Swarm, uh, and Kubernetes was relying on the Docker engine to be the, you know, container runtime for your pod, and so you know that all kind of came to a head, and I guess 2016 was maybe the height of that. Sure. And uh, you know there were rumors about. Someone who's gonna fork Docker and, and make a more slow moving version that Kubernetes can rely on that wouldn't have Swarm. So it was out of all those discussions. I, I was at IBM at the time, but, but heavily involved in Docker. Uh, so, you know, talking to Solomon from both the company perspective, but also uh, a contributor, uh, you know, I think everyone realized we need to solve this. Red Hat was also frustrated with Docker at the time uh, so container d was meant to be the answer of like you know i think it was joe beta that tweeted in that time frame like all we want is a core stable runtime that kubernetes can rely on and docker could rely on that doesn't have sort of the opinionated layers above it and so uh, michael crosby one of the, probably the most prolific docker employees at the time uh, and maintainer of the engine sort of just on his own, created this little process manager that he called Container D. Uh, this is also when the OCI was formed. So a lot, a lot of stuff happened in 2015, 2016. And sometimes I don't even get the timeline right anymore. But yeah, essentially, you had Run C, Container D, and Docker. You had these three discrete projects. Yep. Where you know, if you I remember roll back the <laughs> clock a year earlier, you just had Docker, this one binary that did yeah. everything. Uh, so that was kind of that that first kind of movement was this process manager. And it was, uh, yeah, through the rest of 2016 that, the, the again, some of this heat and, and, and firestorm ended up, you know, pushing, uh, pushing to this decision of like, okay, well, Container D could be just more than a process manager for Run-C. It could be this sort of core stable runtime that anybody could use. Uh, And so the CRI, again, was developed soon after uh, the container runtime interface for Mm -hmm. the Kubelet to talk to a runtime. So, uh, you know, and it took years and years for Docker SHIB to finally get deprecated just a year or so ago. Yep. Uh, But now, you know, now we're in that world where container D is used both by Docker, it's used by Kubernetes via the CRI used by, you know, other projects, Um, you know, all because of that sort of heat and pressure of like, you know, Kubernetes, Docker, you know, all all these sort of tensions and debates, uh, the Red Hat tensions, Um, you know, out of that, I think something good came. Yeah, absolutely. We ended up with a a project that uh, spring 2017 was donated to the CNCF and graduated a year later.
0: Yeah, no, I'm. I'm I mean, I, first of all, I love backstories. So thank you, because yeah. I, I think that you know my listeners also really love the backstory. Not everybody's involved in that, but but the yeah. history and understanding why something happens, you right. know, is amazing. Yeah. Um. So so I love that, and the. Um, the one thing that, that I do remember too is I think, you know, uh, you know, when when we used the, the Docker engine, it was much more fat. Like it was it was, you know, and, and this also answered the question, like, we don't need all that stuff in Kubernetes. Right. We could slim it down and kinda, you know
1: Yeah. Yeah, so as you know, Docker as a tool was growing, so yeah. you had volume plugins and they had their own networking. And so if you use Docker underneath Kubernetes, you know, one of the things was the Docker container would end up on the Docker network, but a CNI plugin was also creating a network. So you had people running in production saying, "I don't want this other network." And yeah, so so uh, Containerd sort of got rid of all those vestiges of the additional tools and sure. features that were important yeah. if you're a Docker user, yeah. but they're not important if you're just wanting the kubelet to yeah. to start a pod <laughs> exactly. So yeah.
0: And also you want to, you want to, you know, kind of minimize that attack surface too. So exactly. less code, less, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff is, is very important when, yeah. you're, when you're considering those things. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the OCI has really helped tremendously too, yeah. you yeah. know, in, in terms of creating standards and, and those specs and, and everything, it's much easier now to kind of consume that stuff.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, Uh, you know, we're getting towards the end here, but I wanted to, uh, ask you, you know, I know you see a ton out here. What's, what's new and interesting and, you know, kind of on your radar or, or something that you've seen?
1: Uh, I mean, it's hard to ignore Wasm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, this is the first conference that Wasm has been, you know, a, a trending topic, but I feel like it's a little more real. There's several vendors, you know, building around Wasm. Yeah. And... Uh, for my with my Container D hat on, we have a uh, shim for Container D, so you can actually drive Wasm. I didn't know that uh, from Container D, huh. contributed by Microsoft. Uh, so we're seeing a lot. You know, there's a lot of growth there, and uh, I'm curious to see where that goes. Again, like you said earlier, the problem. With choices now, with more choices. Like, why would I choose Wasm over? That's what a I'm trying to figure out. You know, like, uh, what
0: it, what is, you know, and I don't think anybody's figured this out yet. Like, yeah. what is the, what is going to be the use case for Wasm, or with, you know, or with Kubernetes, or Kubernetes with Wasm, or, or Wasm with Nomad, or you know, whatever it is. you yeah. know. yeah. I, th- I think,
1: I think we're still, you know, there's people with opinions on those yeah, things, yeah. but I, I think, but that's just it. It's just yeah. opinions at this yeah. point. I
0: don't think anyone's figured it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's definitely interesting in that similar to containers, you know, when you compile a Wasm, you're not having these, you know, you start a Java jar file and it's got to load all these other class libraries and jars. Um, you know, with Wasm, it's you, you're back to that beautiful kind of instant start that every everyone <laughs> loves. To you know, my application just starts. Yeah, it's, it's already ready. In, you know, sub second. But isn't this just
0: like a recreation of what we already have? I remember the early days of like like uh, um, IIS. There were all these WSGI plugins yeah, or whatever, yeah, that's and that true. and that's kind of like what we're so. What's old is new again, you know. It's well, true. Like... I mean, uh, yeah, I think.
1: if been in the industry long enough you know the same ideas you know they, they come back in a slightly different form you know
0: it's i mean i know it's different it's a little bit different in, the, in the implementation but the the concept is kind of the same yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah, it's always been interesting to me because i remember one of my earliest jobs as a college grad at ibm was working on this like distributed rpc thing which was a mess like it crashed all the time it was memory hog but yep. it was kind of cool like it's like i'm calling to another system and executing work and getting yep. a response i, remember, I did a, some of that yeah, that's all that. we do though yeah. like everything's rpc like you know yep. rest apis and, uh, yeah and grpc so, yeah you know it all comes back around it's it's
0: so funny to watch i mean it's 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 a really and it's almost like you know even even at IBM when my dad w- was there you know it was all about you know big systems and mainframes and yeah, things yeah. like that and now it's like you know it's kind of like what the what you know going back into distributed systems and you know it's 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 just all kinds of circular yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting well thank you so much for coming and, and I'm glad that yeah. we finally got to connect this yeah. time and, yeah. and it's so interesting talking to you so hopefully we'll have you on again sometime awesome thanks for having <laughs> me all right thanks